Hello of Slippers and Spindles listeners, this is Drew, and I just wanted to take a moment to give you all a little update before we get into the episode. Um, As many of you know, we had to put the podcast on hiatus in February when I found out that the cancer that I had back in 2017 had returned. Um, So since then, I've had surgery and I've been going through chemotherapy treatment. This episode we actually recorded in February about Disney Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and I apologize for taking so long to get it out there, but obviously there's been a lot going on in my life as well as Cassie's, so I am just happy we can give it to you now. Um, as for the future of the podcast, we do hope to return eventually. We have some ideas for some one-off episodes, and our format may change a bit when we come back, but it may still be a little while till we get there. But all of that being said, I want to thank you all so much for your love and support during this time. Thank you for your patience and your kindness with us. And thank you for continuing to listen. We just crossed 7,000 downloads last week, which is so amazing, especially because we haven't been producing episodes lately. And Cassie and I are so grateful to you all. I hope you enjoy this episode and hopefully we will talk to you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Of Slippers and Spindles. I'm Cassie. And I'm Drew. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to Disney Week. Yeah, I didn't ask you before we started if you had anything to chat about in the beginning. I guess I just kind of assumed we'd be jumping right in. Yeah, we don't usually chat in the Disney Weeks. We usually just jump in. So I'm all for jumping in if you're all for jumping in. Yeah, I don't really have much else to talk about. Okay, cool. We got blizzarded on here pretty significantly this week. The Um, whole world is covered in snow, so it's appropriate that we continue the Snow White. (laughs) We're talking about Snow White. Yeah, I actually, they closed the library this week. Ooh. Because our county was under a level three snow emergency, which means nobody's allowed out on the roads. So they they didn't have a choice but to cancel. Cancel the library? Close the library. For the day, please don't cancel libraries. No, don't. Uh, we're very important. Uh, so I had an unexpected day off, and that was strange. But it did let me watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarves from Disney. Yes. yes. So. And we have thoughts, as we always do. And I know that you are going to have a lot to say uh, to jump us in with the history of this movie and how it came to be, because this is a pretty big, important one for Disney. So yeah, yeah, this is Disney's. <laughs> sure, we'll jump in. This is Disney's first animated feature, which I did not realize growing up. I remember at some point learning that, and you know, when you're a kid, you don't know how old anything is. It's just they're all just animated old. movies. Yeah, 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 everything's older, everything's new, or whatever. It's all the same. Um, but yeah, this is Disney's first full-length animated feature. It premiered in 1937. Um, If you adjust for inflation, I think this is really interesting. If you adjust for inflation, Snow White is still the highest grossing animated film of all time. $1,963,000,000. Isn't that crazy? No, is that that like... insane? Is that cumulatively like over time? No, that's what I'm not sure of because Disney really held out on releasing Snow White on VHS because they would release it in theaters every few years, like every seven years, I think, to bring people back. So I'm wondering if it is cumulative. 
Um, it's an interesting statistic, but I, I want more data I to know. understand where that statistic's coming from. Because if it is cumulative, then it kind of makes sense. Less because impressive. <laughs> it's like, it's the first it's one that's been, been around, around for longer. Exactly. Um, but if they're talking like initial immediate release, then it is more impressive. It's still an impressive statistic. Um, my critical thinking skills are just rearing their head going, well, we don't really have all the... Yeah, the enough whole, data to understand what that statistic is telling you. The whole like adjusted for inflation thing is interesting to me anyway, because I always feel like what you have to adjust for inflation, because otherwise, how can you compare something from 1937 to the sales of something from 2021? Exactly. But usually they don't adjust for inflation. So like the live action, quote unquote, live action Lion King is considered one of the top grossing animated films of all time. And I'm like, but how, how can that count? Like a dollar today is not the same as a dollar in 1937. So like, no. it doesn't seem fair to not adjust for inflation. But anyway, that's a whole other rant. Um, other interesting facts about this one. It was nominated for Best Musical Score in 1938, but didn't win that. But it was given an honorary Oscar in 1939. Walt Disney accepted that uh, presented by Shirley Temple and famously was actually eight Oscars. It was one normal-sized Oscar and seven smaller mini Oscars to represent that's, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That's adorable. <laughs> that's so cute. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of history to this one. Um, other things that I'm sure I will bring up as we go along the way. Uh, what about you? What are your like personal thoughts and feelings about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Snow White is definitely a Disney movie that I had more exposure to as a kid than some of the others. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we actually owned this one on VHS. We didn't own a lot of them on VHS. We did own this one, so I saw more of it than, like, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty Mm, as a kid. Um, My brother, my younger brother, really liked this movie to the point where he was actually dopey for Halloween four years in a row. (laughs) That's a a lot. Okay, that's dedication. I've got some photos. I can can throw those in the the Facebook group and on the Instagram uh, as my little brother is dopey. For four years, I think. Three or four years for Halloween. I'll see if I can find subsequent years. But um, so, so I, I watched this one more than other Disney movies, but I have never really liked it. Like, full disclosure, I I it's fine. I don't hate it, um, but I don't like Snow White's voice. And so that makes it wow. hard to watch because I don't what like. What a I hot just, take! I what know, an I know. Original, <laughs> right? That's me. That's the first time anybody's ever said that. Um, I don't. Here's one that might be more original. I also really have always, like, as a child and still as an adult, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with the dwarves' noses. What? <laughs> they they just unsettled me as a kid. <laughs> Like, I, I don't like them. They're too big and they're a different color than the rest of the face. And it just, it always weirded me out when I was a kid. And so I still have that, like, lingering visceral reaction when I, I see them now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, getting deep. Deep reasons. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I've, I, I've seen this one 
frequently, it's not my favorite. Um, but what about you? I'm curious to know where this one landed in your ranking. Yes, actually, I was of- just looking that up um, because I forgot to look it up before the podcast. Um, so <laughs> out of 58 movies that I watched for my big Disney chronological rewatch last year, Snow White landed at 15. So actually did pretty well. See, and here's my thing. Like, Disney Plus can tell me all day long that this movie is one hour and 24 minutes. And you cannot convince me that this movie is not actually four hours long. What? Because that is what it feels like sitting there watching it. This movie feels interminable. Well, okay. So that's interesting. Here, I uh, b- before we watched the movie last week when we ended our discussion of Girls Made of Snow and Glass, we were talking about preparing for this episode. And you mentioned that there's so much fluff in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And my reaction was, it can't be as much as the fluff in Cinderella. So in watching last night, I timed the dwarves sections to see how much of this movie is about the dwarves versus the rest of the actual story. And the sequence when they first arrive in the cottage and they're like searching the house because they can tell someone's been there, you know? That yeah, the one that's alone, 45 minutes long. It's eight, I think eight and a half minutes long. Yeah. It's in, so much longer in than an 80 minute movie. That scene is 10% of the movie. So. And ultimately, just the dwarves and their like silly sequences takes up about a third of the movie. Yeah, I think that's part of my issue with it. And I also think there are so many songs in this movie. Like, yeah, we talked about the we talked about the padding in Cinderella. But even that doesn't feel quite as bad as this. And I think it's because there is a lot of extra padding, but there's not like a lot of extra songs. But this it seemed like they were constantly back to back singing new songs with like no dialogue in between them. And none of the songs do anything. To move the plot forward. And that is partly because of when this was written. This is 1937. This was before the golden age of Broadway. It was before musicals and musical theater had transitioned into incorporating the music into the storytelling. And so I recognize that part of that is because this movie was developed in the mid-30s. And that's why these songs are mostly just for fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not moving the plot along. But... There's also a reason why we transitioned musicals and musical theater to that format. And it's because a song can be fun, but I don't really want to watch three fun songs back to back that aren't helping tell the story at all. Yeah. um, Walt famously cut a couple songs from this movie because they weren't, uh, they stopped the story so much. So like, it's crazy to think that there were like, there were songs that there were, were even more <laughs> that stopped the action even more. But um, up to this point, Disney was largely producing short animated sequences called the Silly Symphonies, which were funny characters doing silly things set to songs. And so I, I really think that the dwarves are born out of what Disney is used to doing so far as a company. 100%. And I I acknowledge that fully. This is one of those instances where knowing 
the history and the con- historical context that the movie was created in really helps to understand why mm-hmm. it's put together the way it is. This mm-hmm. is also, as we said, the first full-length animated feature, and there was some concern about whether people would sit through it. Right. And so by falling back to that format that people were used to was more likely to help transition into this new style of storytelling. Mm-hmm. That being said, understanding the historical context doesn't make me like it any better. <laughs> I guess it's like fair. I understand I, it, but I still don't like it. I would argue that the musical sequences, even though they don't move the plot along, they are still telling you something about the characters. Yeah. Snow White in particular, like you you learn about Snow White mostly through her songs. And the dwarves are really what like Walt and the animators were excited about, clearly, because they take up a third of the movie. And so even though their songs, like especially the, the washing song um, and the silly song where they're dancing with Snow White, you know, that doesn't move the story along. But we learn about the dwarves in a way that I think no other Snow White retelling has ever successfully done like when we think about our other snow whites that we've looked at this month or even others that you and i are familiar with that we didn't talk about there may be one or two dwarves that stand out but by the end of this 80 minute movie you know all seven dwarves and i think that's because of their silly scenes and because of their songs and you know you can say what you want about whether you enjoy it or not, but it gets the job done. I mean, Dopey is a fan favorite. We'll talk about the or the the musical from 1979 that we mm-hmm. watched. When Dopey enters, the audience like screams for him. He's Ariana Grande up there. Like they are so excited that Dopey is here. Now we are in. So I screamed white. for a different reason, but we'll get to that. <laughs> no, I think my other issue with the songs is that there are so many of them, but if I hadn't just watched this movie last night and you said, sing me the songs from Snow White, I would sing Someday My Prince Will Come. I would Mm -hmm. sing Mm Hi-Ho. And I don't know that I'd be able to sing any other songs from this movie. I think I would have had I'm Wishing and Whistle While You Work in yeah. there. Definitely Whistle While You Work. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, it would take me like, a while. But the, I could not have sung for you the Prince's song before this last week. I, oh, I know I could not too. have sung for <laughs> you the Dwarves song when they're like dancing around the cottage. They're not, they're oh, not memorable. <laughs> like... Uh, I, I have to disagree. I have well, to disagree. Well, that's fine. They're not I, memorable I think the, for me. The one about... The the one where they're washing, there's no real tune to that one. So that one I'll give you, like, is very forgettable. But uh, the scene, like, even, like, Dopey blowing bubbles out of his ears. Like, I I remember all of that very viscerally. So, I don't know. I, I, I think I disagree with you on this one. That's fine. But let's talk about the story. <laughs> yeah, let's get into how they adapted uh, this particular fairy tale. So I thought it was really interesting. We open with the storybook cover opening like usual. But uh, we don't have a spoken voiceover right. reading the text yes. of the book. It's just you have to read it. Yes. Um, And the first real change or addition that they make comes from this sequence, this opening text in the book. Um, It talks about how the queen 
is so afraid that Snow White will become more beautiful than she is that she forces her to be a scullery maid to prevent Snow White's beauty from surpassing hers. Yeah, they make Snow White Cinderella, which is really yeah. interesting because they haven't done Cinderella yet. This movie does not tell us anything about where dad is. Nope. Uh, the king is just, he's not a character in this. We don't know if he's alive. We don't know if he's dead. We don't know if he's aware of what's happening to Snow White. He is never mentioned. Yep. He is just completely absent. No information about the mother and her death either. It's just literally like Snow White lived with her stepmother. And the stepmother was afraid she would become more beautiful than her. So she made her a maid. And then they fade into the first animated sequence, which is the queen summoning the slave in the magic mirror. This is an elaborate summoning ritual. Like... There's a lot going on in this sequence to get this mirror to appear. It's intense. Yeah, it's not just uh, like speaking back to her. Like she's like, slave in the magic mirror, come from the farthest space. Through wind and darkness, I summon thee. Speak, let me see thy face. Oh, I did that from memory. I'm very proud of you. Could not have done it myself. <laughs> but yeah, it's Thank it's you. elaborate. And again, we don't get any backstory for this mirror we don't know if this is something that she created if it's something that she brought with her to the palace how long she's like known how to do this it just kind of there is a magic mirror she knows how to use it here you go the end yep and so she asks of course magic mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all and it tells her that snow white is now fairest of them all and she well actually she says <laughs> he says there is a lovelier maid. And she says, tell me her name. And he s gives her a description. He doesn't tell her Snow White's name. He just right. gives her a description. And so from the description, she realizes that it's Snow White. And so we go see Snow White, who is outside cleaning the steps of the castle. And she is singing to the doves about this magic wishing well. Yep. And who should happen by... But a prince yeah. on a horse. So this is the second change. Uh, second major addition is that the prince is introduced as a character earlier in the story. So he comes upon mm -hmm. Snow White as she's singing the song of the wishing well. And he rushes up beside her and he sings with her. Freaks her out. She goes running away and he proceeds to serenade her. She's run into the palace and he like sings to her and she's uh -huh. like hiding behind a curtain listening and she's like super, you know, flattered by the song. And it's, it's a cute moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's sweet. The prince doesn't get a lot of development and that is also a product of the time. There was originally supposed to be an additional sequence where the queen captured him and held him in the dungeons or whatever. Um, but they were still learning how to animate men. So they weren't very good at it. So that scene got cut. It reappears later in Disney's Sleeping Beauty. But that sequence was originally thought of for this movie. So while the prince is underdeveloped, like I feel like I can forgive it a little bit because they knew that they couldn't do it yet. Yeah. And they at least put him in. Like, he's not just a random character who shows up at the end. He's here at the True. beginning. Um, yeah. I, I find this meeting still a little like, eh, dude. Not as badly as some other ones, though, because unlike Prince Philip, he doesn't, like, accost her in the woods and, like, snatch at her <laughs> hand and not let her get away. Um, he just sings his song at her. 
But his song is all like, I've been waiting for you my entire life. And I'm like, dude, you saw her profile for like three seconds. <laughs> and then she was gone. Um, so I have a theory. I think it would be interesting to write a story about fairy tale characters living in a world where love at first sight is like a real thing. Yeah. Like make that... A force in the world, like gravity or, you know, like a soulmate AU, like where that's just a thing that we know happens. And I think that would be interesting to play with. Yeah, like it doesn't necessarily happen to everybody, but it does happen to, you know, some people. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it would be fun. Yeah, I think there's there's something interesting in that for sure. Um, But shortly after this, the queen summons the huntsman. To take Snow White into the woods and kill her, the huntsman is reasonably uh, a little freaked out by that. Uh, He tries to protest. Uh, The queen shuts down the protestation. He agrees Mm -hmm. to do it. For some reason, we dress Snow White up in a fancy dress to go kill her in the woods. Uh, Can't kill her in her servant's rags. We got to put a pretty princess dress on her. It's it's her day off. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She's got one nice... Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I asked my mom about this as a kid. And I feel like that was her answer was that it was her day off. So she like dressed up nice today because she wasn't going to be cleaning. So like her one good dress, she was like, oh, let me wear this today. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Um, But just like the story takes her into the woods, unlike the story, he just makes the decision not to kill her. It's not that she like looks up at him with doe eyes and says please don't kill me he says i'm not gonna do this i can't do this yeah yeah she just screams while he's holding the knife up and then he drops again the knife. perfectly reasonable uh reaction to yeah that. oh yeah <laughs> totally. um i also i always remember the box that the queen's gonna put oh. the heart in like it's it's I very iconic box. i want it i want it oh yeah there was a uh, a disney store on my floor in the mall where i work at but it was just a disney like fine art store and they had the box and i really wanted it and the store shut down last week oh no i know i'm very upset i'm sure there are replicas of it on etsy oh yes yeah yeah undoubtedly um but yes this i just always remember this like really elaborate box but the the huntsman says go run away into the forest the animation sequence for the forest is intense. It is intense. Like, I I legitimately was afraid of it as a Yeah. Kid. Well, if you pair, yeah. pair this sequence with the very opening animation of this movie, which is the the queen summoning this mirror with mm. like fire and, you know, creepy colors and then like her transformation into the witch, like this is a scary movie for kids. Yeah. There are intense sequences. I was listening to another podcast about Snow White recently, and they talked about how Walt knew that, like, in order for the fun and light and the funny moments to still feel happy, like, you have to have that darkness. You have to have the contrast. And I think that's part of why Disney movies are so successful, because otherwise they wouldn't continue to do that, you know? Like, people know children are afraid of these sequences, but they continue to put in, like... Um, friends on the other side and the princess and the frog like that is intense yeah um 
but they know that it works and there's a reason that it's there. Um, and this is the first time they're really doing intense, scary stuff. Up to this, it's always been these silly, you know, short films. Yeah, this sequence is really effective. Um, yeah. I, like, it's one of the high points of the movie for me, honestly, because the animation is really cleverly done where mm-hmm. you can't tell what's real and what's imagined. You yeah. can't tell, like, are there actually you know, dark spirits in the woods that are terrorizing her or is it just her imagination and it's dark and it's spooky and she can't see and so there's like tree branches snatching at her, you know, dress. It it really does play with that line of how much of this is real. Yeah, I um, had a pop-up book of Snow White when I was a kid and I skipped this page because... The animated sequence freaked me out so much that I didn't even want to look at the page in the book that had like these pop-up trees. And then we come out of this sequence with the animals of the forest emerging. Yeah, she falls down exhausted. And then I think she sings a song that is worthless and doesn't need to be here. Well, yeah, this moment like sticks out to me because she's talking to the animals and she says to them, I'm so ashamed of the fuss I've made. And I'm I'm like, girl, I think you're good. Like, your fuss is justified. Your stepmother just tried to have you killed. And then you ran through the forest where, like, the forest was terrorizing. Yeah, but I think that that's actually a really interesting line in terms of examining the childhood that she's had. And, you know, Mm. speaking to trauma and to abuse because that's a a symptom of traumatic, you know, cyclical trauma is this idea of, well, I don't want to be a bother. Like, even when you're not a bother, even Mm -hmm. when you would be justified to be a bother, there's still that, you know, inclination. Oh, I'm so sorry for causing trouble. I'm sorry for, you know. And so I think that that, I don't know that it was intentional in 1937 for this to be like a throwaway (laughs) comment about like, here's my childhood trauma surfacing. Um, But I think it can definitely be read that way. Yeah. But the animals, they sing, they dance. Yes, they sing with a smile and a song. Oh, yeah, that's the song. The animals, yes, yeah. She she talked about like, oh, I need a place to sleep, but I can't fit in a nest like you. And so they lead her to this cottage where she can, where she can find a place to rest. I'm going to say this now, and I'm going to keep saying this through the whole movie. I would love it if you could either speak in rhyming couplets or not speaking mm. rhyming couplets. But this sometimes I do and sometimes I don't is really actually amending my statement. I would love it if you could not speak in rhyming couplets. Like just hard hard on that one. Uh but if you're going to do it, then always do it. Commit to it. I think that in the movie, it's the dialogue that surrounds the songs are when she speaks in couplets. Um, I I would have to watch it again or look through the script to verify that. But I think because when she she does that here in this moment, it's set to music almost like the music is underscoring and punctuating her sentence with her. So I think it is actually related to the song itself. Now, when we talk about the musical, the queen talks in couplets and it's annoying. I'm not a fan of characters talking in rhyming couplets, like regardless, if it's going to be there, it needs to be there with a purpose. Like Mm. the lovers Mm. in Midsummer Night's Dream speak in rhyming couplets for the first four acts. And that 
is intentional and it serves a purpose for the overarching story. And it's actually a really fascinating use of language in that Shakespeare play. Um, but I could do a whole podcast just on that. So. And have. And have, actually. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> in our Shakespeare Midsummer Night's Dream episode, I go off in Rhapsodies uh, yeah. quite a bit about how language is used in that, especially this bit with rhyming couplets. But normally, like, if you're, if it's just like, I want my character to be cutesy, so I'm going to speak in rhyme all the time. No, thank you. Nope. Don't want mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Not interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear you. Because, like, coming out when she's talking to the animals, she starts off, she's got the sequence, she's like, I can't do this, I can't do this, and it rhymes. And then, like, the second half of it doesn't rhyme and is no longer in meter. And it's like, it feels weird. It's like, either do it all the way or don't do it at all. Yeah, I want to look at it now because I wonder if it's only when she's talking to the animals. No, because this this sequence is... Partly, but yeah, anyway, so they take her to the dwarves cottage and uh, mm-hmm. she, you know, is looking through the window and she's seeing the mess that's inside and how dirty and grimy everything is. And I have a note here that just, it applies to the whole movie, um, but it's innocence is not a personality trait. And I think that's one of my biggest issues with Snow White in this movie is that she doesn't have a personality. She's not a developed character. She's literally the personification of innocence. And that's it. I think there's more to her than that. I think optimism is a personality trait. I mean, it's an 80-minute film, and she's only in two-thirds of it. She's in probably, like, a third of the movie by the time you take the dwarves and the queen sequences out. So what does that leave you with, like, 20 minutes of Snow White. You can still develop a character in 20 minutes. You can still... Uh, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm i saying that, like, she's got limited time. So you're going to get a limited set of personality traits. And I, I, I don't think she's totally boring. Now, what you could say to me is, where are her flaws? Yeah, that's a good question, too. Now, now I am going to say, okay, you know, there's not a lot of growth happening with yeah. her. Things happen to her. She's not a super active character, which you can talk about how that's, you know, a product of the time, blah, 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 blah. It's still it's still a problem. Um, that I will hear. But, like, to say that there's nothing there at all, I think is not fair. Okay. I have a Tumblr post screenshot that I was going to save till later, but I'll read it now. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's a, it's a little long, but it, it's kind of like in a in defense of Snow White. And it's, it's some bullet points. So let me go through them pretty quickly. Um, you can survive abusive situations with your positivity intact. The abuse from others doesn't define you. But by the same token, when the queen's abuse threatens Snow White with bodily harm, she manages to leave and and get help. Um, it's okay for you to have an emotional reaction to things that hurt you, and you shouldn't be afraid to cry. Um, a quote that she says, actually, in this scene that we're talking about is, remember, you're the one who can fill the world with sunshine. Keep your chin up. Stay positive. Share that positivity with others because you never know who it can make a difference for. Uh, work hard when you are asked to and have a positive attitude and pride in your work. Friends and found family can be just as special and important if your real family isn't healthy for you. Stick by what you want and be firm when you have to be. Never stop believing in love, even when it's hard. 
help others in need whenever you can, and you can change people's minds and hearts. I would say you have to be careful with that one. Um, in you know, we're not talking about the queen here. We don't change her mind and heart, but um, that's about Grumpy and yeah. his you know misogyny and his dislike of Snow White. Um, and how he learns to actually grow to love her. And I think that all of that is valid. Like 100%. Those are valid messages to take away from this movie. Those are valid characteristics to put onto Snow White. But I do think that a lot of them are projected onto Snow White. I don't think that a lot of them are intentional in her character and how it was written. Um, I don't know. I think... Maybe some of them are, but definitely some of them, like the optimism is intentional. And I mean, if, if we're going to say that we're going to look at the music from a perspective of, of, you know, a more current point of view, and we're looking at how that's informing the story, then I think we can look at how the characters are read today as well. I don't know. I don't know if I'm defending this well, but I, I just think that I feel like Snow White gets a bad reputation and I, I don't think she is as flat and as annoying as people think of her being. And I think if people actually went back and took a moment to watch the movie again, they'll actually enjoy her more than they think that they would. Except for you, because you have a look on your face. No, I, it's, I have no problem with people liking Snow White as a character. I agree with the positivity, the optimism that those things are important. Personally, she's not a character that I enjoy watching. Um, but I, I think it's just because there's the potential for more and I want more done with her. And I don't get it because I feel like you could replace her with a doll and not a lot about this movie would really change. Yeah, there's, um, there's a movie that came out recently called Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves that I would be really interested to watch. It's, it's an animated Snow White movie that came out just a couple years ago. So I would be interested to look and compare how like a, an animated movie for kids tells Snow White today. And there is a live action reboot of this movie in the works, whether we want it or not. And I think it will be really interesting to see what they do with her. I think this would be an interesting one to do a live action reboot with because I think... I think, honestly, the most successful live-action reboots have been the ones for Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty because mm. they've actually, like, taken pains to flesh the story out and make it a stronger story on its own. Yeah. And so I think point. if they were going to follow that same formula with this one, I'd be really interested to see how they did it. Yeah. Yeah. I but anyway, we have some minor breaking and entering um, that goes on with Snow White and the animals coming into the cottage, and they see how disgusting it is, and Snow White thinks, oh, a bunch of little children must live here because it's so horrifically messy and everything is so small. She's like, well, I'll do something nice for them, and I'll clean the place, and so she gets all the animals to clean with her, and they sing the song, and I watch this and have two major thoughts going through my head. The first is, you've been a servant for how much of your life, and you don't know to dust before you sweep? Dust before you sweep. Otherwise, you're doing twice the work. We don't know how long she's been. Regardless, let this be a PSA for everybody listening. Dust first, because then you knock the dust to the ground, and then sweep, because then you're only sweeping you once. Um, and then Never say that we don't teach you anything. Exactly. Now. Life skills. 
Um, and then this scene always evokes for me the scene from Enchanted, which is a direct homage to this movie. Not yes. not Ella Enchanted, yes. but Enchanted with uh, Enchanted, Amy Adams yes. and Patrick Dempsey, where she's cleaning uh-huh. the New York apartment and it's all the like rats and cockroaches who like come out uh-huh. to help uh-huh. her clean. This scene always like puts me in mind of that scene because yeah. they're specifically and deliberately linked. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Enchanted. Um, so good. We should do an episode on that. We'll have to find. Yeah, we'll have to find an excuse to talk about Enchanted. One day we'll do like a month where we will do like the Princess Bride and Enchanted and like these things that are are like fairy tale not adjacent about specific fairy tales. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun. They are original fairy tales. They're like fairy tale esque stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So the dwarves are in the jewel mines. They come home from work. They sing hi-ho. Snow White goes upstairs. She falls asleep. And then we get our eight-minute sequence where they are searching the house. And we get to know all of their crazy personality traits as they sneeze and sleep and bashful their way through the search of the house. And this movie is responsible for me believing as a child that gemstones came out of the ground looking like gemstones. Oh, no. <laughs> Disney yeah, providing okay. unrealistic expectations of what raw gemstones look like since 1937. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They don't come out looking like that. They come out looking like rocks. Yeah, yeah you have to break them And then up. at one point, like when she's... This, this made me laugh out loud when I was watching this last night. When she's, like, looking at the, the beds in the room and she's, like, sleepy? Bashful? What funny names. I'm like, your name is literally Snow White. You have no room to talk. They are named exactly no, the same I, way you are. Their names are definitely weirder. I think it's weird that she assumes that those are their names. Like, yes. I would not look yeah. at a sequence of adjectives and be like, oh, clearly... These people are named Sneezy and Bashful. I was also struck by the fact that Doc, at one point in this sequence, says Jiminy Cricket. Oh, yeah. And I did not realize that Jiminy Cricket was a phrase before Jiminy Cricket was a character. Yes, yes. Jiminy Cricket, the character, is named for the phrase Jiminy Cricket. That was like, I was today years old when I found out moment for me as I was watching this. Because that had just, like, never really occurred to me. Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz says Jiminy Crickets as well. And that came out before Pinocchio. Yeah. So it's this, mm-hmm. it's it's always been a phrase, and then Disney turned it into a character. And that had, for some reason, for 32 years, escaped my notice. Oh, that's so funny. But yeah, so the dwarves, they, they search the house. They sign Dopey up. Dopey comes back down. Eventually, they all go up together to go face what they think is a monster sleeping in their beds. And they lift the cover and they see Snow White sleeping there. And um, she wakes up and she meets them. And uh, eventually, she offers to keep house in exchange for them letting her stay. And at first, they're like, "Eh, I don't know, because the queen is evil, blah, blah, blah. But then she offers to cook. And they're like, oh, you cook? And she says, yeah, I can make gooseberry pie. And they're like, gooseberry pie? Deal is done. She stays. It makes you wonder, like, what have they been eating up to this point? That is a really good question. It's like, I can understand Uh, they can't make pie. So the prospect of pie is, like, great. But the whole thing about, like, 
food because she made stew before I mean, she they went. They must be eating something, yeah, because they their dishes are also dirty. Yeah. So, so what were they? What were hmm. they eating? Good question. And what is she making the soup out of? Exactly. Like, did they have like a pantry? Is there a larder? We've seen no evidence of. There's some kind of garden going on in the back. Like. She just magic it into existence? There is no way that those sloppy seven dwarves are keeping a garden no. successfully. Absolutely not. The animals brought brought the food. I hope it's only yeah, vegetable yes. stew. Oh no. oh, no. We've stumbled onto the dark conspiracy theory oh, no. of Snow White. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. Um... Now we get to what I'm sure is everyone's favorite sequence, which is the dwarves watching song where Snow White makes them all clean up. Uh, We can yada yada through that. I don't, you know, it doesn't really contribute to the story at all. Meanwhile, the mirror reveals to the queen that Snow White is still alive and she flees through the castle with her cloak flying behind her. Ugh. It's so animated good. so marvelously as she like swoops down this spiral stone staircase and her cape just flows out behind her. Um, it reminded Influencing me. Influencing the way that we all run through our houses wrapped in blankets yes. for decades. Um, it reminded me of one of my favorite book series when I was a kid was the Enchanted Forest Chronicles by Patricia Reedy, uh, which is not based mm-hmm. on a direct fairy tale, but has a very fairy tale feel to the story. And at one point we meet the king of the enchanted forest and he lives in this castle uh, that is almost impossible to navigate because there are staircases that don't lead anywhere that will just go up the side of one tower and then down the other side. And there's a description about how they were built by this particular king's like great, great grandfather who was very fond of sweeping up and down staircases in his, in his cape, <laughs> dragging behind him. And uh, so that made me think of <laughs> this sequence made me think of that yes, book description. Totally. But yeah, Cape Goals. Cape Goals. Yeah, yeah. Fashion icon, evil queen. Oh, totally. Yeah. The queen is, I mean, for this being Disney's first villain, like she has done so oh, yeah. well. There's not a single yeah. redeemable quality in her. <laughs> She's 100% no. vicious. Yeah. So she now creates a potion that will disguise herself as a hag. And later she will also create her poison apple. And when I was a kid, I was so scared of this scene. I would hide behind my parents. And I remember, I think I had seen the Wizard of Oz first. And I remember the scene happened and after she transformed, my dad was like, Drew, look, Drew, look, you should look. And so I looked and I looked up and she was now like her ugly old crone self. And who is also terrifying. Oh, who is equally terrifying. But I asked, oh, is that the good witch? And my dad was like, no, that's still the bad witch. And so I continued to then cry and was afraid again. But if he had just told me, oh, yeah, she's the good witch, I would have been like, cool. Because to me, you know, you've got a bad witch. <laughs> so, so you got to have, have a good witch somewhere. Witch. I love it. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, she, this hag is terrifying as well. Yeah. Um, I have a yeah. note because she she dresses a hag. She takes the apple. She goes into the forest. She finds Snow White. The animals are trying to warn Snow White that something's wrong with this lady. And my mm-hmm. note and, and Snow White is like scolding them like, don't 
abuse this poor old woman? Stop it. And my note is, in what world do you trust that hag over these animals? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, she's so scary. And I also wrote that so much of this movie freaked me out as a kid. Like, so much of it. Yeah, there's a lot of these intense sequences. But another change that we get here, we don't have the multiple attempts on Snow White's life. It's just this this one. It's the two. It's the Huntsman and then the Apple. Mm-hmm. And the witch basically like sells Snow White on the Apple by saying, oh, no, you can't make a gooseberry pie. You need to make an apple pie. That's what men really want. And then she tells Snow White that it's a magical wishing apple. Yes, yes. First, I have to say, though, that that pie that she's making for Grumpy, I want to eat that pie. It's gorgeous. So bad. Oh, my gosh. With the little the little bird's feet, like indentations around the edge. And then, like, and the, the way she writes Grumpy with the dough. Crust. So perfect. Also, oh, setting unrealistic expectations for how easy it is to manipulate pie crust. Fair. That is fair. But, no, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous pie. But yes, she she says this is a magic wishing apple. So you need to make a wish and take a bite and your wish will come true. And so Snow White wishes for her prince to come and find her and they will ride off to his castle and live happily ever after. And she takes a bite. Her breath will still. Her blood congeals. And then she falls to the floor. In a very iconic moment of animation with the hand and the apple rolling out out of the hand. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And as the witch leaves the cottage, she turns to the side and she sees the dwarves and the animals are are coming at her and they chase her up this mountain. And it's storming. And it's storming conveniently. And... She gets this giant boulder that she's going to push down onto the dwarves. And Grumpy is now leading the way. He's the one in front, which I love. And uh, suddenly lightning strikes and hits the cliff. And it crumbles beneath her as she falls. And she's never seen again. Yeah. Killed somebody in a Disney movie. You can't let her live. Of course not. She, She killed Snow White. Yeah, but we could have had her dance to death in red hot iron shoes at the end. Yeah, yeah, this isn't quite. But as I feel fun like that would have been I more guess. traumatic for the children. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, maybe just a little bit, just a little bit. But the dwarves they set Snow White up in her glass coffin. We get more narration on screen, and we see the seasons pass. So we see uh, winter pass, and then spring comes. And as the dwarves are all, they're all kneeling, they bring her flowers and the prince arrives and we're told through the text that he has been searching for her. And so he arrives and he kisses her and kneels and then she wakes up. Yeah. And my only issue with this sequence is that for some Mm -hmm. reason, the text in the book at the end here just abandons complete sentences. Like... It does not give you a full and complete sentence. It gives you ellipses and the back half of a sentence. And it's not like a continuous sentence that's going on. It's like literally just half an idea. And they're just kind of trusting you to fill in the rest. It struck me as very odd when I was watching this time. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason for it to be like that. Yeah. Like, I think it could have been a complete sentence 
very easily. Like, yeah. There's no reason there's, for it to There's be. no reason for it not to be a complete sentence. It was very strange. Hmm. Yeah, that is weird. But then we ride off into the sunset and all's right with the world. And our book closes and that's... That's Snow that's White. the animated movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. It was somehow four hours long. I don't get that feeling, but I, I, I'm sorry that you are so belabored by the dwarves and Snow White's horrible personality that this is so torturous for you. The dwarves are really like the crux of why I find this movie tiresome because it's just on screen so much without doing anything. And again, the dwarves would not have these sequences if this movie was made today. Yeah. You know, like, that's why I think it's so important to talk about the context of the Silly Symphonies and all this stuff, because there's no way we would be send- we would be spending this much time watching the dwarves wash their hands no. today. No one would sit through that. But in 1937, people got to the end of this movie and, like... Hollywood celebrities were watching this movie for the first time and crying for Snow White in her glass coffin. Like, this was, it's such a a product of its time that I think it has to be looked at that that way. And also, I think today it's successful mostly as a children's film. I think when we look at, like, you know, Beauty and the Beast and Tangled and movies that are more contemporary, we can look at how do they entertain adults as well. I think Snow White, because it is much more basic nowadays it's not as engaging for adults but it does still engage children yeah and that and so may, that's where i think it's super successful yeah that may have been part of it for me too is just like the story does not hold my interest this movie does not hold my interest mm. and i'm aware it's not made for me but the fact that i had to watch it like twice this week because i watched the movie and then i watched this musical like i was done i'm so done Let's talk let me, about this musical. Let me t- okay. Let me let me preface this. So I have been involved in musical theater my entire life. And I have been a lover of fairy tales my entire life. And so when I found out that there was a Snow White Disney musical that I'd never heard of before, I perhaps erroneously, but the thought that went through my head was, you know, if it was good, I would have heard of it before now. <laughs> And that may not be an accurate thought to have in many situations, but but I can now state definitively, if it was good, I would have heard of it before now. So let me tell you about this musical. Please do. So in 1969, this musical was created for the Muni in St. Louis. Which I have been to. I've seen Into the Woods there. I've seen Beauty and the Beast there. My family lives in St. Louis now. So they are patrons of the Muni. So it was put on in 1969. They did it again in 1972. And then in 1979, um, for about five months, they performed it at Radio City Music Hall in New York. And they filmed it. And so you can actually watch it on YouTube for free now. As a child, I used to get this from Blockbuster all the time. All the time we used to watch this. So watching it today or last night gave me some like major childhood nostalgia flashbacks. If you think that the queen in the animated movie swoops her cape around a lot... She's got nothing 
on the queen in this musical. She like holds her cape up at shoulder level and just like runs around the stage all of the time. But it is what works so in animation does not always translate well to real life. Listen, that's like the best thing that translates from animation to real life. Because the way that this movie, the way that this musical translate the dwarves and the animals. It's the stuff of nightmares. Terrifying. It's the stuff of nightmares. When I wake up screaming in the middle of the night this week, I am calling Drew at three in the morning. (laughs) That's fine. It'll only be midnight for me. (laughs) To tell you that it's your fault. Yeah. So there's quite a few changes between the movie and the musical. Um, We don't need to go through it plot by plot because it is actually very, very close. There are just a few things that are like. Yeah, that was my biggest takeaway is that it's basically it's beat for beat. The animated Mm -hmm. movie, except for a few key points where they tried to add some depth. And I appreciate the attempt. However, they just raised more questions than they actually answered. Okay. I'm excited to hear these questions because usually I try to answer your questions, but I'm not familiar enough with this one to necessarily be able to give you some satisfactory answers. So let's go through these changes here. So the the very... Introduction to this gives us Mm -hmm. some, it gives us the fairy tale explanation from the original story that the movie does not. So it tells us about the queen who wished for a daughter and then the daughter was Mm -hmm. born and this is why they named her Snow White. And then she Mm -hmm. died and the king remarried. So we're given that history and that backstory that Disney's film does not give us. Correct. And then there's a song, a new song. Welcome to the kingdom of Once Upon a Time. Yeah, and see, I had this reaction of like, ugh, who would name a kingdom Once Upon a Time? And then had to remember that I have literally named a kingdom ever after. So, (laughs) but in Uh, my defense. I don't think that's the name of the kingdom. I think it's like, welcome to the kingdom where the ideal is Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Um, It's it's not a memorable song. It's not a good song. It's very long and yeah yeah and it's your introduction to the kingdom it's your introduction to the the queen who is being presented to the kingdom for the first time and you also meet the king yes who is he's a character, a character in this, this version um and he is sucky I don't like him. He's not good. And the actor was like phoning it in, man, because he's in the background of these shots and he's just got like this thousand yard stare while everybody's dancing around him. (laughs) Not he's not given his his best performance. You know, you know who he is. I just I just made this connection. He's King Friday the 13th from Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. He's in that like same costume. Yeah. But the queen, so the queen is from the kingdom of Shaitan. And she is directly from the animated movie. So, like, the contrast of this old king in these, like, powder blue robes next to the queen in her, like, black, it's really weird. It's really strange. But, like, so they've just been married. She hasn't even met Snow White yet. And she is introduced, Snow White is introduced to the evil queen as the most beautiful jewel of our kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was, jealous. yeah, that was like planting the seeds of this immediately. 
And then we get to the queen visits the Hall of Mirrors. She does the same incantation. This is the first question that's raised. Is like, okay, you're new to this kingdom. This is established as the Hall of Mirrors. So I assume it's part of the kingdom of Once Upon a Time and not something you brought with you. So how do you know this mirror incantation? I don't have an answer. That, I have yeah, no idea. That was not a question I had watching the animated. It was a question I had watching the musical. And then she basically bullies the mirror into telling her that Snow White is the most fair. Because the mirror says it's her and she's like, I don't believe you. I know there's yeah, somebody yeah. out there who's more beautiful. She She's like calling the mirror a liar and all this stuff. It's really strange because like she also says, you are magic. You cannot lie. So then why why are you accusing it of lying? Right. And he never... But, but he relents. He's like, yeah, okay. No, no, wait, he doesn't. But he doesn't. Wait, he does never he? says it's Snow White. Remember. He just kind of gives a vague description of who the most fairest person is. And she goes, yeah, Snow White. Which but you could describe them the same you way. You could. You could describe both of them the same way. Yeah. And I, I just felt like the mirror was like, I don't know what to tell you, lady. Like, <laughs> okay, I'll rephrase this in a way that will stop you from yelling at me. Like, later he says Snow White's the most beautiful, but here, initially, he does not. No, no, he doesn't. It was he gives, strange. He does give the same description that is used to describe Snow White all the time, which is, um, like, hair black as a raven's breast and lips of cherry wine, which is used a lot throughout the, the musical. Um, but the queen has no reason to think that that's Snow White. That could be her. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't, I don't know. know. It's strange. I don't get it. So the queen summons a, a, a new character. She brings this servant named Luna, and she has Luna take Snow White off to a far off village to be dressed in rags and to go work hard manual labor so that she will this is lose all of her beauty. This is an elaborate scheme that she yeah. concocts because she's going to tell mm. the king, who is still alive, and a character in this story. That his daughter is being sent to her kingdom to get to know her people. Yes. But in reality, she's being sent to this village to be a servant. And again, I have questions. Such as, why wouldn't the king say, hey, cool idea. Let me send an entourage of my people yeah. to protect yeah. my daughter. Why does no one go with and her? And be a companion for her. First question. Second question. Why doesn't Snow White do anything to keep this from happening? I, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I I think I assumed that Snow White did think she was going to Shaitan. She, and then like, they just didn't actually go there. Like she didn't know how to get there. And so she was lied to. But then when she's there, she just like apparently just accepted her fate and stayed. She's like, well, okay, I yeah. guess I'm a servant now. And at no point does she say to anybody in the village, like, hey, I'm actually the princess. It'd be really cool if you could go get a yeah. message to my dad yeah. who's alive. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But um, we flash forward a little bit and Snow White sings I'm Wishing to a girl whose name is Greta instead of the doves. I like the song better when it's sung to a human and not birds. Well, I also thought it was interesting that her name is Greta because that's the name of the girl 
um, from Snow White and the Huntsman that Snow White met in the prisons. True. At the beginning. So yeah. I thought that was a, an interesting link. But apparently this village is only occupied by women and they all sing I'm Wishing, which is, it's a nice number. Um, and of course the prince arrives during this time and he ends up singing his song. And then he ends up talking to Greta and Greta's mother. And Greta spills the beans that Snow White is the princess. So Greta knows who she is. Greta knows and the prince knows. Yeah. Which is important later. But the the queen asks the mirror. She finds out that Snow White is still the most beautiful. She sends the huntsman to the Mm -hmm. village to find her. And she's telling... She tells the huntsman to tell Snow White that she's coming back to the palace. And so that's why she's in a fancy dress in this one. So that's a good question answered. And then he pulls out the dagger to kill her. And you can tell that it's a dagger for an evil purpose because it's one of those wavy daggers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he can't do it. He sends her into the forest. At which point we have what I'm sure was a really fascinating set transition. Except that they didn't film in a way that let me watch it. And I was upset about that. Yeah, they like because they're like too much moving the camera back trees. and forth. Yeah, they're like trying to distract you. Like, oh, forget that this is a stage play, and we have to change the set. And me being who I am, I want to see that. Right. right. I want to see how you incorporate that into because I think from what I could tell, they were incorporating the set transition really well into the whole like forest is coming alive bit. But you can't see it. I wanted to yeah. watch it. Yeah. And then we have Snow White. She falls to the ground. She wakes up. And this is where we meet the animals. The animals. Cassie, tell me your feelings about these animals. Yes. In the future, (laughs) when I pitch a show for my theater Uh company, that includes animal characters, which I will do because I direct yeah, so theater. Yeah, so there's going to be and So that's just going to happen yeah. at some point. Someday I'm going to do Susical. Someday I'm going to do Honk mm-hmm. again. You know, I'm going to do shows that have animal characters. And I say to my costumer, we're not putting them in animal suits. We are going to suggest the animals based on the right. costumes, but still dress them like humans. And the board, this future nebulous board, says to me, Cassie, Why? Just put them in bunny costumes. I will show them a clip from this musical to explain why we're not doing that. It's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. They're awful. They're in like. They're it's so like bad. Grown adults in like these bunny and raccoon and fox costumes. The gopher. The, the gopher. Was the horrifying. turtle. The, the turtle, I think, is the worst. The turtle. No. No, it's so. It's so, it's like it bypasses Uncanny Valley and goes straight to Creepy I really want to read like an interview with someone from this production. Just tell me what it was like doing this. How did you feel? Did you think, I, was the audience buying into it? Like, I want that interview to be conducted with the back, back half of the deer. Because yeah. <laughs> there's a two person deer costume. And what is so frustrating about this Lots of things. But specifically, earlier, when we meet the prince, he rides on stage on an honest-to-God horse. horse. An actual real horse. And then later we get this two-person deer monstrosity and rabbits that are taller than Snow White. And it's horrifying. It's so messed up. It's it's like... It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. 
At which point I went, if this is what the animals look like, I am terrified to know what the dwarves look like. Ah. Terrified. And I'm sitting there going, there's a correct way to do the dwarves in this stage production. How how did you feel the dwarves should have been done? Children. Children. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was Children should have been the dwarves. Put them in beards. Spoiler alert. Children. Children are not It's not children. (laughs) So, yes, uh, Snow White, she sings uh, Whistle While You Work. They go to the cottage. I love the cottage set. I think that is, like, the best thing No, the cottage set was really cool. I did write that down. Yeah, because it, like, it opens Opens. and closes, like, like, almost like a book. Or, yeah, or it like, reminded yeah, cool. me um, a few years ago, they revived a musical called She Loves Me off-Broadway, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the first off-Broadway show to be live-streamed, and um, so you can watch the the production, which is really cool, and more people need to do that. Broadway has an accessibility issue. That's a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> anyway, but they do the same thing with their set. Um, it's this perfume store and and there are scenes that take place inside the perfume store and outside the perfume store and they have it like open like a book oh, that's um, cool. to show you the inside. It's really, really cool. But I was sharing the cursed image that was this this musical with my husband because I'm not going to suffer alone. Like I'm of not going to be cursed all by myself. Sure, sure. And so I was periodically like taking my laptop in and being like, no, you have to watch this Look gopher this. do this weird <laughs> dance. You have to see it. And his response, in horror, he asks me, why is the turtle the only one on all fours? The turtle is, like, so disturbing. Like, the face on him, literally my note is just the freaking turtle. Like, it's it's the only animal that got its own note. It It is so weird. It's so weird. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, but yeah, so then we get the house sequence. They clean the house. Mm-hmm. She goes up. She sleeps on the bed. It's mm-hmm. it's literally just the movie. But then, then Drew, then we meet the dwarves. The, and my note is, I do not have the words for how deeply I am disturbed by these dwarves, especially Dobie. With his soulless gaping eyes. Yeah, why why are his eyes like that? Soulless gaping eyes. Some of the dwarves are okay. The, yeah, like Doc, I think, is not too bad. Doc, happy, not bad. Yeah. Grumpy's okay. Yes. And then I think, like, you go downhill from there. Like, sleepy, sneezy, bashful, unsettling. Dopey, straight up disturbing. So bad. Yeah. They, they're they wearing these, like, giant, like, almost like a character head, like a Disney character yeah, would wear. Yeah, almost like a Disney character head. But their their mouths are, like, a separate piece. So the mouth will move up and down like a puppet. It's, except for Dopey, obviously, is all one piece because he doesn't talk. But for some reason, Dopey's got these big eyes cut out. And no one else has them quite so distinctly. And it's, it is so, so bizarre. We're going to put pictures up because I I I don't know how we don't. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you're in Radio City Music Hall, like, it doesn't read as horrifying. But on film, it just does not work. It does not work. Yeah. It is terrifying. Yeah. Um, I think he, he shows up, he turns around for the first time. 
And I think I said, oh, God, out loud in my house. Like, it's it's horrifying. And but I tried said, really hard. When Dopey first shows up, he's the first dwarf you see. And the audience is, like, cheering. They are so excited. That's because the audience is children. It's all children. Yeah, yeah. The children are fun. I think it's a fun element. Because also, later when you get to the point where... Uh, With the I'm, apple? Yes, the apple. When she's going to eat the apple, the children are just, like, yelling at her to not eat the apple. It's, when it's, you, it is really cute. It is really cute. There is... Yeah. There is a really special atmosphere that you can develop when you do a a performance that is specifically meant for theater for young audiences, Mm -hmm. where you're inviting children to come and watch and it's just children and their parents, but it's it's mostly just for the children because you don't – enforce the rules of theater etiquette yes in those those senses like you want the kids to be engaging with what's going on on stage and talking directly to the actors and when you're doing just a normal production we you know we kind of stiffen and we pull away from that Mm -hmm. you know to enhance the theater experience for everybody around you etc etc but there is such joyful abandon when you do give in to this is for the kids. We're just going to let them go. And yeah, listening to all of these children yelling at Snow White, don't eat it, don't eat it, was like made my heart happy because yeah, I'm a, it's so I'm a theater for young people person. I, I think it speaks to probably what I imagine was the success of this production for those audience members. I, I think I think it just was never meant to be filmed. You know, I, I, think, I think it just doesn't translate. But I think for those children sitting in that audience the way that they cheer for dopey and the way that they they yell for snow white not to eat the apple shows how engaged they were because yeah you hear them like it's not like you hear a few children call out it's it's just this like this force of like yelling of them all in in like in as a mass and it's begging her not to eat the apple knowing it's so strong yeah. In that moment that it it makes me believe that they were dampening audience noise. Oh, probably. Elsewhere. The rest of it, because yeah. you can't have kids reacting that strongly at the end without them yeah. having similar strong reactions earlier on. Yeah, and so it possible. makes me wonder if in editing they were dampening like until that moment at the yeah. end where yeah, like we'll let people that. hear that. Um that. but yeah, and so I think yeah, I think as a a live performance for kids this works well for what it is. My issue watching it as an adult, as a musical of this movie is that once Snow White gets into the woods, this is beat for beat the animated film. Yeah. There's nothing literally shot for shot. There's one new scene with like the prince and the king and the huntsman where they're, the king is like, yes, please go find her. Like where the, those three male characters, um, Kind of decide. The prince okay, and the huntsman tell the king down. what's happened to yeah, his daughter. Yeah, so there's like that one new scene, um, but otherwise, otherwise it's like beat for beat, line by line, the movie. Yeah. There the is stage. no new interpretation. There no. is absolutely no adaptation choices to take this from an animated film to a stage production. And right. so there are things that just like. To literally the interpretation of the dwarves and the witch's hag costume, mm-hmm. it's literally just a three-dimensional version of the characters drawn for the movie. There's yeah. no reinterpretation. There's no 
and enhancement. This wasn't going like on. a full Broadway production the way like Beauty and the Beast and the Little Mermaid are. So right. it wasn't developed in a in a more thorough way, the way that those look at the characters and they give them new songs and they give you new motivations in different moments and you know, we enhance things and this doesn't do that. This is just like here's the movie with like one new song at the beginning and that's really it. Um, the, uh, I guess there is one other small change was that at the very end, Dopey, when all the dwarves are saying goodbye to Snow White, Dopey says goodbye, Snow White. But it's like his voice is so weird that like the moment is. It's it like, should have been sweet and it wasn't. It's not sweet. Yeah, it's creepy. And I I tried really hard to find out a little bit more about the actors playing the dwarves because at first, like, I actually wrote down a note when she's in the bed about, like, oh, these little men. And I'm like, they're taller than you are. And then when they actually got onto the main part of the stage, they're not. They are all shorter than Snow White, so much so that it, it made me wonder if they were children in the costumes with adult voices being, like, superimposed but i went and looked it up on imdb and they were all in their 20s and 30s yeah yeah but none of them have done anything else they moved too clearly i think to be yeah child actors from the 80s um you can find almost no information about anyone in this production everyone was unknown except for like the woman who played the queen and i think all i found has done a few things all i found is that dopey um worked for the circus and was a clown okay Sure. That's that's as much information as I was able to uncover. Yeah. So if you have more information about the men who played the dwarves in this uh, production, yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah. But yeah, and and I my my only other note here is that I am legitimately concerned about the queen actor's uh, vocal cords. Yeah. Like she is tearing them to shreds yeah she talks like very much in her throat Ooh. and she's like vocal yelling. fry yeah. vocal fry it, yeah. it was uncomfortable Which is, it's, an, it's a strange choice because that's not how the queen talks in the movie you know she talks very no. like low and and sinister and yeah yeah interesting yeah, yeah. so uh yeah it, it was this was an experience watching this was an experience um i'm, I'm glad you did it I'm yeah. I'm not. I'm going <laughs> to be haunted forever by the turtle and Dopey. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see anything like this again for a, a Disney. I a think Disney for movie. what this was intended to be in the 1960s and 70s, it is mm-hmm. successful. Um, yeah, I don't think it was yeah. intended to be like a big stage musical, and I don't think that it was intended to be filmed. Um, I mean, obviously it was intended to be filmed, but it wasn't, like, written with the intention of we're going to put on a big, like, Broadway. It was just, it was like, it was like Cinderella on ice. Like, let's just do something for the kids and put live actors in front of them in these costumes that are iconic. That's a good Um, comparison. Yeah. But, yeah. So, I think there is a reason I've never heard of it before this moment. Well, thanks for sending through it. But it was... (laughs) horrifying it was horrifying i just just that's can i tell you about the theme parks please tell me about theme parks because i actually have a snow white adjacent disney theme park story oh yay that's awesome so um 
why don't I just start go I'll go through it. There's not a lot Absolutely. actually. And then when we get to your your thing, let me know. So um the main the main thing, of course, Snow White appears in like parades and shows, just like everybody else. Um the her main attraction over the years has been a ride called Snow White's Scary Adventure, which used to exist in both Disneyland and Magic Kingdom, but is now, in a way, gone from both. So in Magic Kingdom, um, a few years ago, probably around like 2013, they shut down Snow White's Scary Adventure and they replaced it with Princess Fairytale Hall, which is a meet and greet area where you can meet various princesses. And in New Fantasyland, they built a whole new ride called the Seven Dwarves Mine Train, which is kind of a mini coaster with like, it had brand new technology for the day. It's actually very well done, but it's just very short. And um, uh, so I have a couple stories here. The first is that the first time I went to Disney World when I was like eight or nine years old, um, my parents put me in the front row of Snow White's Scary Adventure by myself, which if you can't tell, it's like, it's, it emphasizes the scary parts of the movie and so i distinctly remember at the end of the ride the the old hag is above you and she's like about to push the boulder over and i was like practically crying because i was so scared of it but then also with seven doors mind train i was working at be our guest when that ride opened and so we were able to preview it before it was open to the public and so you got this little lanyard pass and you could go ride it as much as you wanted and then you just turn the pass back in and so i went with some of my coworkers, and i wrote it like probably six or seven times back to back just over and over and over and over um and i took this really good picture of the cottage and the official walt disney world instagram um reposted that picture on their Instagram, which I was like super excited about. So um, that was super fun. And then Snow White's Scary Adventures has existed in Disneyland for a really long time. And just recently, like a couple weeks ago, they announced that they have refurbished it. And whenever Disneyland opens again, it will now be called Snow White's Enchanted Wish. And so they've taken kind of those scary elements back and they have like updated it so it's much more family friendly and kid friendly, um, and it looks really fun. I'm excited to one day ride it again. Disneyland also had a Snow White show from like 2004 to 2006, but I I don't really know anything about that. But that's the main stuff for Snow White in the theme parks, other than like you can meet every character: Snow White, the Prince, the Queen, and the Hag, all of the dwarves, no Huntsman. But that's it. Also, fun fact before I'll I'll let you tell your story. But fun fact that we haven't touched on is that all of these characters have names. Did you know that? Uh, No. Yeah. So so in like the official press and stuff, they named all the characters. So the huntsman name is Humbert. The queen was called Grimhilda. That sounds familiar. Yeah. And then, of course, the back of my head. We've talked about how the the prince was Florian. Yeah. 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 So, please tell me your your Snow White theme park story. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of Disney theme park stories because I've actually only been to Disney twice. Um, the first time was when I was about eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went like at the tail end of their two thousand millennial like uh, celebration. Yes. Yeah. And my overwhelming memories of that are uh, we went to Epcot and I thought that that was super cool and I was 
absolutely flabbergastedly blown away by oh gosh the phantasmagoria phantasmic is that a hollywood studio phantasmic yeah phantasmic yes like changed my life it's, it was incredible yeah. and i loved it uh, and like those are like my strong memories from that first trip uh-huh. and then the second trip that i took was actually like overwhelmingly not a good trip because it was my marching band when i was a freshman went to disney and uh, it was, like, the beginning of Bay, so it was super hot. Yep. <laughs> and we did, like, the mile-and-a-half-long parade uh-huh. in full wool uniforms. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was gross. I was the most disgusting I have ever felt in my life at the end of that parade. Oh, I bet. Um, yeah. So, not great. But, um, and there was, there was a lot of stuff that went on that trip. That made that trip not a good trip. That was no fault of Disney. It was the fault of, like, the people that I was forced to be with at the time. Sure, yeah. But um, we were told, hey, you know, we're going to be going backstage Disney as we prepare for this parade. And, like, I had a sense of what being backstage at Disney meant. And we are like, it's kind of cool. We get to go see the stuff that nobody gets to see. Mm-hmm. We walk through the door, given the instructions of where to meet. And we walk through the door into backstage Disney. And the first thing that I see is happy and bashful walking around without their heads on. Oh. No. <laughs> yeah, with their heads, like, tucked under their arms. You know, no. it's backstage. They don't have to be fully in costume. But I was like, what is this place? I, I wonder if they... Uh, I feel like they separate the students a little bit more now from, like, specifically from the characters. Because, ooh, yeah, that would be so uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen Minnie walking around without her head before. I've seen all of it. But, uh, or you see like the characters and they have their full makeup on. They have their wigs on, but they're wearing like street clothes or they're street wearing clothes, like their, yeah. their gray. They have these gray like t-shirts and sweatpants that they wear when they're not in costume. Uh, so you'll see like yeah. Peter and Wendy walking to lunch together. Um, but it's only Peter and Wendy from the neck up. Uh, so yeah. Well, Strange and, experiences and, you know, me- being backstage. Me being who I am, I really like backstage anything. Sure, like I like yeah. seeing how the magic happens. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm my degrees in theater. Right. Um, so that was really interesting for me to see that. Um my my dad was actually um was a Disney character yeah. actor for a summer. His family lived in California for a year while my grandpa was on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And uh my dad's like one of his first jobs was he was goofy at Disneyland. That's so cool. I I only learned that last week. Yeah, fun fun family lore. Yeah. Um but but yeah, so so I saw dwarves without their heads on um <laughs> at Disney World and then I had to go march a parade route with trolley tracks running down the middle yep. of it. One of our euphonium players lost his shoe at the beginning of the parade <gasps> no. in the trolley track and oh had to march the rest of the parade without a shoe. Oh, on. that is awful. Yeah. That's awful. It was a trip. It was a trip. And I have not been back to Disney since I was 14. What? Um, and I feel oh like gosh. I'm overdue. Yeah. Well, don't go now. Because, well, no, not now. But, uh, but. My mother-in-law lives in Florida, and we usually go down every year, but she's in Naples, which is, like, three hours away from Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I went to Orlando for our honeymoon, but we went to Universal. Yes. Like, that was – we could only afford to do one, and we chose Harry Potter World. Yes. Um, and the rest of Universal. And I saw you there. 
that was fun. And you saw us there and you walked us around and it was really cool. Um, But I have not been back to Disney since I was 14. And I really would like to go experience it as an adult. And, you know, check out some of the things that I wasn't even aware were a thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. I also, I truly love watching like Instagram and TikTok videos of the evil queen in Disney World. Oh, I have a great picture. character has so much fun. The last time I was at Disneyland, um, so at Disneyland, the the characters can roam a lot more than they can at Disney World, just because at Disney World, there's there's so many more people. So I have a great picture of a moment I caught where the evil queen and Gaston were talking to each other, and Belle and the Beast, Ooh. I think, are behind them. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun. That was good. Yeah. So I I think. I think it would be so much more fun to be an evil character oh, at Disney World my gosh, than yeah. to be one of the princesses. No, like, you know who you want to be? 100%. You want to be Anastasia and Drizella. They are a riot. They are so funny. Yeah. My favorite. Of course, we cannot end this episode without talking about our criteria real quick. Absolutely. So let's, let's do it. Let's go through it. Um, number one, make Snow White less of a damsel in distress. How do you feel about this? I. I mean, feel like she is better than the fairy tale purely from the removal of so many mm, death attempts. Yeah. Like that automatically makes her less of a damsel. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that she has enough of a personality to pass this criteria, but I, I will recognize that like Snow White and Sleeping Beauty are the most damsel in distress Disney characters that there are. So, you know, your mileage may it vary. Did, it did okay. It could be done better. Yeah. I am interested to see what they do with this character in the live action reboot when yeah. that eventually becomes a thing. I'm interested to see how they take her. Yeah. And I will for sure concede that this is the weakest Snow White that we've looked at this month. Yes. Yeah. All right. Number two, strengthen the queen's motivation. Um, is she just mad about not being fairest of them all? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I uh, mean, we don't really get anything else from her. No, no. Uh, like she feels, she feels sinister enough to me that like, I don't feel like this is weak motivation for her. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like if you sit down and you analyze it, like yeah, this isn't much to go on. But when you're sitting there watching the movie, you're not like you're not, I don't think it takes you out of it. No, and I think that's largely again because this was made in 1937 mm-hmm. and a villain was just a villain. She's the evil queen. She doesn't right. need motivation beyond that. She wants to kill Snow White because she's evil. Yeah. Yeah. But period. <laughs> yeah. Um, our third criteria, offer more plausible reasons why the Queen's murder attempts are not successful. I got to tell you, Cassie, we probably should have skipped this criteria because no one does the multiple murder attempts. I know. At least none, and it makes me really sad. Yeah, none, none of the versions we've looked at. I know that there are some that do, but we just happen to pick some that don't. Yeah, we so, just happen to pick four that their solution is to remove. Just skip it. Which is a shame. So in this one, yeah, it's it's completely believable. The huntsman lets her go, and she, the evil queen dies before she knows that the apple didn't work. 
Yeah, that's true. I never like, thought about that. Yeah. She dies the, thinking the, the she's successful. Dies. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But she dies old and ugly. True, which is important. Yeah. And then our fourth criteria is to establish the prince earlier in the story and develop his character so that the proposal at the end makes more sense. And we want to talk about how this version addresses consent. Um, at least the prince is introduced earlier. Um, He's introduced earlier. He's we, not developed. No, yeah. But we talked about why that happened. Yeah. You know? So um, I, I think they intended to develop him. They just didn't have the technology and the talent to do it yet. And one of the... Adi- Possibly the biggest shift from the fairy tale that this version makes that we didn't talk about at all is that this is what introduces the kiss as a means to wake Snow White. And actually the evil queen, when she's like making this poison apple, she's like, oh, I should check and see if there's an antidote. And it says the only antidote to the poison apple is true love's kiss. But it's not true love's love's kiss. No, it's love's first kiss. Love's first kiss. Love's first kiss. Yes. And she's like, well, the dwarves will bury her, so I don't have to worry about that. Right. And so in because of that, because like that's the antidote to this poison, I forgive yeah. the kiss from the prince yeah. in terms of like talking about consent. Because I think it's pretty obvious if you've been poisoned and the only antidote is a kiss, you would probably you're, you're consent okay to that kiss if you were able. Kiss. Yeah. And yeah. he just, it's like one quick little kiss and then he backs away and like kneels yeah. before the princess and it's, it's a very respectful moment. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it feels like, um, we've talked about this with Snow White and the Huntsman, it's a kiss goodbye. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, because he doesn't like kiss her and then watch to see if she wakes up. He he gives her that quick kiss and then steps back and kneels and is mourning her death. And so I think that... In Snow White, I think that is usually the context. Whereas in Sleeping Beauty, I don't think it's a kiss goodbye, usually. In Snow White, no, it he tends doesn't know to be, her. Yes, yeah. In Snow like, White, it tends to be like this moment of of farewell. And so yeah. the, the consent, the issue of consent doesn't feel as gross as it does with regards to Sleeping Beauty. Especially if you have introduced the prince ahead of time. Exactly. If the prince character is someone who knows Snow White. Whereas in the original fairy tale, it's icky because, I mean, it's not a kiss, but it's still the prince in that. It's is still almost icky. like worse in the fairy it's tale almost worse. where he doesn't kiss her because what he wants to do is like keep her. Keep as, the dead girl in a box. As a decoration. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's Gross. So strange. Icky. Yeah. This was not icky. No, no, not at all. This did not make me feel icky at all. No. So. All right. Any final thoughts on Snow White by Disney? I understand why it's iconic. Um, It did a lot for the industry. It did a lot for this fairy tale, which I will Mm -hmm. talk about in our wrap up. Um, It did a lot for Disney. It's important. It's an important piece of cinema. I don't Uh, know that I ever need to watch it again. uh, I, I think... What we didn't touch on is the beautiful animation. Like, considering this is the yeah, no, first it's very nice. animated feature film, like, there's so much detail in, like, the Zodiac signs around the the mirror and the intricate details of the cottage. Just, they really bring this fairy tale setting to life. And, um, yeah, no, I, I love this movie. Like I said, it's... 15 out of 58, so top half 
for me. It ranked above Cinderella. Cinderella was 16. Um, okay. So I, I think it's a good one. All right. We would love to hear what you think about Disney's Snow White and any Snow White adaptation that we have looked at this month. You can get in contact with us on our Instagram or our Facebook page by searching at of slippers and spindles. You can also send us an email to of slippers and spindles at gmail.com. We love to hear from you and interact with you. Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you're following along this journey with us, if you feel like you would give us a five-star rating, we would love to receive that five-star rating from you in Apple podcasts. It really just goes a long way to help other people find us. So um, thank you all so much for listening. Bye friends. Bye. Yeah, there's um, there's a movie that came out recently. Recently? That's not a word. There's a movie that came out recently called Red Shoes.